Hello, fellow Wanderers. I'm glad you're with me today. Last week, we looked at the Battle of Sudden Flame. Today, we'll be looking at the aftermath of that battle, even examining the deeds of Morgoth's lieutenant, Sauron the Sorcerer. I'll be analyzing the second half of the chapter called Of the Ruin of Beleriand and the Fall of Fingolfin, in a book called The Silmarillion, written by J.R.R. Tolkien and published after his death by Ballantine Books in 1977. If you haven't read this book yet, I encourage you to do so. A link to purchase The Silmarillion from Amazon is in the show notes for this episode, and I appreciate your support. Welcome to the Beginner's Guide to the Lord of the Rings podcast. We explore the foundational, epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoy J.R.R. Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. Lagovangin, fellow wanderers. Okay, before I do today, Middle-earth, I need to make a quick correction from last episode's segment, where I said that Pippin had stabbed the Witch King. That was actually Merry. Thanks to those who let me know. Today is April 14th. On this day, Middle-earth, in the year 2942, Bilbo and Gandalf are a couple of days' journey from the Goblin Stronghold in the mountains, where Bilbo will find the One Ring. In the year 2980, Aragorn is returning to Lorien after daring to enter Mordor. While he's there, Galadriel will play the part of matchmaker, encouraging the courtship between Aragorn and Arwen. In the year 3018, Gandalf has been in the Shire for a couple of days, anticipating the long-expected party for Bilbo and Frodo's birthday that will happen later. These tidbits are from the Today Middle-Earth History calendar on the OneRing.net. Okay, let's check the map and see what's been happening up to this point. If none of this makes sense, please go back a few episodes and catch back up. It is the first age of Middle-earth. The Noldor had held a siege against the Dark Lord Morgoth, but their siege has fallen in the Battle of Sudden Flame. Pockets of elven strongholds remain throughout Beleriand, but they are all cut off from their allies. Fengolfin, the High King of the Noldor, fell in single combat against the Dark Lord. Let's start today by looking again at Badahir, a man, a man of the House of Beor. Last episode, I mentioned that Badahir had saved Finrod, Lord of Nargothrond, from death or capture. This rescue resulted in Finrod swearing his friendship to Badahir and all his kin, even giving Badahir a ring as a token of friendship. Let's examine this promise of abiding friendship. At this time, Finrod had been alive for thousands of years. Men lived to be about 100 years or less at this time, and six generations had passed since Bayor had first led his people into Beleriand. I mention this because, again, it contrasts the immortality of the elves with the mortality of men. The oath that Finrod swore was between him and all the kin of Badahir. The oath is not, for instance, all of Finrod's future kin to aid Badahir's future kin, but Finrod himself. Finrod understood that the lives of men were short, and that he would outlast many generations of men. Okay, let's talk about the ring that Finrod gave to Badahir. I've touched on this just a little bit in the last couple of episodes. This ring was made in Valinor during the time of the Two Trees, and while it had no power that we would call magical, it had a prestige about it simply because of its ancientness. This ring was in the shape of an emblem of Finarfin's house, two serpents intertwined, the eyes of which were made from green jewels, with a crown of golden flowers. This ring appears in Peter Jackson's movies. A great shot of it is at the end of the Fellowship of the Ring, when Frodo is leaving the company, and Aragorn closes Frodo's hands around the One Ring, there's a close-up of the Ring of Badahir. Also in The Two Towers, Wormtongue is describing Aragorn and Saruman is flipping through his picture encyclopedia of all things Middle-earth from Balrogs to rings. He turns to the drawing and says, quote, The Ring of Badahir. It's this ring that leads Gandalf and Saruman to believe that Aragorn is the heir of Isildur, so let's briefly track that heritage. Finrod gave the Ring to Badahir, pledging his friendship to Badahir's kin. Badahir's son, Baron, retrieved the ring, as we'll discuss next episode, 
and eventually it was passed to Baron's descendant Elros, who is the brother of Elrond, and the first king of the island nation of Numenor. The ring passed through the royal families of Numenor, before coming to Elindil and then his son Isildur. After Isildur's death, the ring and the shards of Elindil's sword Narsil were kept with Elrond in Rivendell. Elrond passed the ring and shards of Narsil to Aragorn, as recorded in Appendix A of The Return of the King. Quote, Elrond delivered to Aragorn the heirlooms of Aragorn's house. Here is the ring of body here, Elrond said, the token of our kinship from afar. So this ring was one of the indicators of Aragorn's rightful claim to the kingship of Gondor. Now, back to Badahir. Badahir and his people originally dwelt in Dorthonian, a region in north-central Beleriand where the brunt of Morgoth's assault had hammered the allied forces. Badahir refused to leave his home, and he fought the orcs, quote, foot by foot. Eventually, their people became so desperate that Badahir's wife, Emildir, led the women and children out of the land, despite the desires of her heart to stay and fight alongside her husband. She leads the people through perilous mountain paths into the land of Brethil. This reminds me of Eowyn, the shield maiden of Rohan, whose heart was to go to war with the men, but did her duty to care for the women and children during Helm's Deep. Thank goodness she actually did go to war before the gates of Minas Tirith, so that she could defeat the king of the Nazgul. Anyway, back to Badahir. He was left alone with only twelve companions. Among them was his son, Baron, a major figure in the tales of the First Age. Tolkien describes this small group this way, quote, Outlaws without hope they became a desperate band that could not escape and would not yield, for their dwellings were destroyed, and their wives and children captured, slain, or fled. They had no news of their people who had fled, no place of security in which to dwell, yet they fought on against Morgoth's servants, doing what damage they could. Let's switch gears and take a look at Morgoth's greatest servant, Sauron. Sauron had been around since the very first days of creation. He was a spirit of the class of Maiar, which served the higher class of spirits, the Valar, from which Morgoth had come. In the beginning, Sauron had served Aule, the master craftsman, inventor, and tinkerer of the Valar, but he was quickly drawn to the service of Morgoth. While Morgoth had been in captivity by the Valar, Sauron had remained behind in Middle-earth, quietly rebuilding Morgoth's realm and preparing for his return. At the time of the Battle of Sudden Flame, Sauron had become, quote, a sorcerer of dreadful power, master of shadows and of phantoms, foul in wisdom, cruel in strength, misshaping what he touched, his dominion was torment. Now, as the battle started to subside, Morgoth had a key tactical problem. In the west of Beleriand, a son of Finarfin and brother to Galadriel, Orodraith, had been able to maintain a great fortress on an island in the wide river Sirion. This was partly because of the power of Olmo, the great Valar who loved and cared for all waters, was still strong in the river that surrounded Orodraith's fortress. To handle this problem, Morgoth sent his most powerful servant, Sauron. Interesting that this tower that Orodraith protected was aptly named Minas Tirith, which means Tower of the Guard. So fast forward a few thousand years to the Third Age of Middle-earth, Sauron is assaulting a city called Minas Tirith, not for the first time, but for the second. Sauron assaulted the tower with, quote, a dark cloud of fear that fell on the tower's defenders. Orodraith was driven out of the fortress and fled with the remnant of his people to Nargothrond. Thus, Sauron turned the once-elven fortress into a, quote, watchtower for Morgoth, from which he could observe every living thing that attempted to pass through the valley, the island and the river upon which the tower stood became known as Tal and Garhoth, the Isle of Werewolves. So Morgoth had gained the victory over the elves and had broken their siege against him. His orcs grew bolder and wandered unhindered throughout Beleriand, but he was not able to break the hidden fortresses of Nargothrond and Gondolin. He had heard of Nargothrond and knew that Finrod commanded it, but where it was and how strong it was he didn't know. Of Gondolin, Morgoth knew nothing, and wondering where Turgon and his people had disappeared to was his most troubling thought. Before we close out, I need to make a quick note of two brothers of the House of Men, how they fared during the Battle of Sudden Flame, 
and their brief sojourn in the hidden city of Gondolin. We'll be right back. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. You can be the hero of your own Marvel Comics adventure. Marvel Strike Force is an extraordinary mobile game, a haven for comic book enthusiasts and gamers alike. Lead your own fellowship of heroes and villains to battle against the forces of darkness that threaten the very fabric of the universe. From the menacing Doctor Doom to the formidable Apocalypse, every battle is a chance to prove your mettle. And right now, Marvel Strike Force is commemorating its six-year anniversary. That means free rewards await those who heed the call and sign up today. With weekly events and bonuses, this anniversary celebration promises a treasure trove of special rewards. Rally your allies, sharpen your blades, and dive into the action of Marvel Strike Force today. Use code MAXPOOL to unlock free new treasures. That's code MAXPOOL, all one word, on the mobile game Marvel Strike Force. Now, back to wandering. Hurin and Huor were brothers, being the sons of Galdor of the House of Hador, the second house of men. In the Battle of Sudden Flame, they went to battle with their father, even though Huor was only 13 years old at the time. They became separated from their company and were saved by Ulmo from certain capture or death. Wandering in the wilderness, the great eagle Thorondor saw them and flew them to Gondolin, quote, which no man had yet seen. King Turgon welcomed them, for the dreams of Ulmo returned to him to be friendly with the House of Hador. For a year, the brothers lived in Gondolin, but they grew restless in time, concerning the plight of their own people outside the encircling mountains of Gondolin. Turgon was resistant to let them go, by his own laws, but the brothers pressed him, saying that the lives of men were short, and that they must do deeds while they had the chance, unlike the elves, who could wait patiently for battle on some distant day. There's that theme of immortality versus mortality again. Turgon answers, quote, By the way that you came, you have leave to depart, if Thorondor is willing. Remember Maglin, the son of Eol the Dark Elf, and Aratel's sister to Turgon? He had grown in power in Gondolin, but didn't like these men at all. As they are preparing to depart, he makes a comment that belies the growing resentment in his heart against Turgon. He says, quote, The king's grace is greater than you know, and the law is become less stern than aforetime, or else no choice would be given you but to abide here to your life's end. Remember that Turgon had not allowed Aeol to leave Gondolin, and in response, Aeol had attempted to kill Moglin and himself. For a refresher on that story, go back and listen to episode 15. Nevertheless, the brothers appreciate Turgon's mercy, and swear to never reveal the location of Gondolin. The Rondor returns and bears them away to their own people, who wonder to see them dressed as princes and not wild vagabonds. They would not answer where they had been, staying true to their promise, but rumor of their strange fortune eventually, quote, reached the ears of the servants of Morgoth. Now, it may seem a strange choice for the eagle Throndor to have taken these brothers to Gondolin, but one advantage of doing so was that Turgon was able to get a full report from the brothers of everything that had happened in Beleriand, including the fall of the siege and the Battle of Sudden Flame. In response to this, he sent forth secret companies from Gondolin, down the river Sirion, where they built ships on the coast of the sea. Turgon gave them the mission of returning by sea to Valinor, and there plead the case of the Noldor and beg the help of the Valar against Morgoth but none of the messengers ever came to Valinor, for, as was prophesied, the way was hidden, and few ever returned to Gondolin. So the siege was broken, the elves were scattered, the houses of men displaced. Please join me next week, where we will begin the story of Beren, the man, and Luthien, the elf maiden, 
and how their love empowered them to topple Sauron's tower, regain a Silmaril from Morgoth's iron crown, and even return to life after passing into death. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. For feedback on the show, please email me at lordoftheringspodcast at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at beginnersguidelotrpodcast. Until next week, remember, not all those who wander are lost.